I like snow globes. You cannot be stopped, <laughs> can you? No. I love that about you. You cannot That's all look. I am. You look like you sound. I'm a snowflake. It's yeah, like a snowflake. All these good. fractals. <laughs> well, we we missed last week, and I hear we had some nonsense going on on our channel. A specific nonsense, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I there's something wrong with that guy, right? R51. Yeah. Okay. We have some students who wrote in, and we have a lot of new students, and they are wondering who, who is R51? What is he? That's what, exactly what I've been wondering. Who is that They want to know. <laughs> so you can tell us? Yeah. Okay. We, we have to really because I'm just noticing some parents are watching tonight. So you students don't have to listen to this. I want to talk to the parents for just okay. a minute, okay? okay? So you just tune out, don't listen. Parents, here's the deal. When uh, artificial intelligence became a big thing and people started saying, wow, this is going to change the world, this could even destroy the world, this is going to be crazy, 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 a lot of our students started writing and saying, uh, Dr. R, what, what is this going to mean? What's this going to do? Do we need to worry about this? And I realized that we needed to do something in Science Live to help students understand artificial intelligence. What it is, how it's going to fit in the world. I don't have a crystal ball to tell me all the details of what are going to happen. But there's a lot we do know about it. And I thought that people, our solo students who watch Science Live, definitely should, should know about it. Artificial intelligence is really a computer program. The thing is that we keep making computers bigger and bigger, which means they have more and more transistors. First there was thousands, then there were hundreds of thousands of transistors, then a million, then millions, and now they have billions. And that means every clock tick, which are a billion clock ticks in a second, it can do multiple billions of things all at once. So it can process a lot of information. That's why a lot of the marvels of computers are possible today. But it also can study all the data on the internet. Just think, what if you had an opportunity to read everything on the internet and remember it all? And that's what these large model computers can do. So AI is a computer tool and it can be very interesting. You can communicate with it, you can talk to it, and it can be very clever. And what I needed to teach our students was that this is something that is going to be around from now on. Maybe it wasn't here before, but now it's going to be around. And so to really negotiate the future, you need to know, you need to be AI savvy. You need to be able to control, to command, to run AI. So in Acellus, we built an AI interface. And there's actually a feature where the students in Write a Book can go in and actually start learning how to utilize AI to help them, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. We had a student uh, uh, a few months ago that uh, contacted, actually was the parent contacted us and said, uh, the writing tutor has a little problem. My student did this and this and this crazy thing, and it acted erratically. And sure enough, it did. And uh, it's, it's a neat, wonderful tool, but they found a, a glitch in it. 
And so I'm happy to report to that parent and to that student that we are now moving all of Writing Tutor over onto AI. So we'll do a much better job next mm -hmm. year of grading your assignments and things. And we're, we're planning to completely change the way we teach writing using AI. Used to be we give people a writing assignment, they type it up, we use the best grammar filters to look at it. Well, um, with all of our clever students, the best grammar filters fell <laughs> short. And, and we had the thing to fix. But now you can ask AI to write a writing assignment for you and stick it in the computer from which you don't learn much. So I decided, let's make it easy. Let's let them actually ask it right in a cella so they can learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. But then we had to develop a new way to make sure that they're also learning how to write because everybody needs to know how to read and they need to know how to write. So now we have an AI writing tutor that'll be coming out and it'll be pretty amazing. But the big thing that I, I needed to find a way to do, how do you explain to all of you students that AI is a program and it doesn't replace you? You're very different than an artificial intelligent computer. Mm -hmm. and, and then I came up with the idea of R51. You see, where I do my tinkering on my experiments and projects, things that I, I don't necessarily want anyone to know I tried it until <laughs> I find out whether or not it works. If it works, I'll tell everyone. If it doesn't work, what? Well, <laughs> I you know. like that one. I, I call that area Area 51, you know, like the Area 51 in Nevada where all these spooky things are supposed to, well, that's like my, my little lab. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this could be a challenge for Area 51. What if we had an android, you know, a robot that lived in Area 51, just a make-believe one, of course, uh -huh. that had this artificial intelligence and every once in a while, we could bring him on the program. And why R51? Well, I'm R. I used to be Roger. You still are. And then I met Paige. You still R. And she took away the R and the E and the G and the O, and I ended up with just R. Uh -huh. I said, that's it, R. Roger, And, and R. you know where that came from? Can we tell them the story? Please do. One day, someone told me that if you go to Google, and you type the word Page, P-A-J-E-T. Oh, <laughs> you get her. And I thought, that is the sign of a true celebrity. Just oh, yeah. five letters and you can find them. The only other person I know like that's Elvis. You type Elvis or Page, and, and you get her. And I thought, that's really amazing. And I said, I am honored to be in your presence. Oh, come on. <laughs> and then she said, well, you can find you by typing just one letter. She yeah. cannot. Yes, you can. And so, what letter? R. So I typed R, and there I wasn't. <laughs> and she said, give me some time. Exactly. I'm still working on it. So I'm still giving her some time. But anyway, so now everybody says, hi, R. And I said, O-G-E-R. O-G-E-R. Ogre. <laughs> anyway, so that's how I became R. So if I'm R, then I'm the original R. I'm the R that started out as Roger and got concatenated to R. And so if there was an 
robot, an android robot that had artificial intelligence and, and he was restricted to a Area 51, mm -hmm. then he could be the way they learn how artificial intelligence is and how it works. Yeah. And the truth is, it's kind of a copycat. It really is, it's kind of fascinating. It seems like he's really smart, but then you find out that in these large language models, they actually look at a word and then they memorize all the words that come after that in something someone wrote. And that's how they learn to write, you know. They don't quite get it. Hmm? It's almost like he has a personality. So it's like he has that. a personality, which is programmed in. Mm -hmm. mm. Has to be. <laughs> so I decide the best way to explain that is to have this guy be R51, and you know, he kind of looks like me, <laughs> because he's an R, only he's 51, which means there's been 50 more before him. So he's a very state-of-the-art, AI, artificial intelligence guy. Okay. But the point is that when they get to know R51, he's really a giant copycat. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing about artificial intelligence. And it really is something that we need to learn how to deal with. I, I think artificial intelligence needs to work for us. Yes. And that's the whole idea. We need to learn how to manage and control these computers. And it's nice that they can do more. Mm -hmm. So. I created this R51, we made a little lore. I thought, okay, he needs a personality, you know, because they program a personality into him. I thought, revenge is sweet. <laughs> revenge is sweet. So oh, I decided, why don't we program into him an insatiable interest in the alien Peugeot? <laughs> revenge so is sweet. So we put that in there, yeah. What are we teaching right now? I lost auger. <laughs> O-G-E-R, gone, right? Okay. So anyway, he lives in Area 51, and this, uh, can I play a clip for you of Area 50, I mean of R-51 and Area 51, where I'm trying to show how he invents things. Okay, let's see it. Hello, I-R-51, hi R-51. Did you know that I invented the hydrogen car while I was in high school? No. What did you invent? I invented the hydrogen car. Did you really? Yes. How could you have invented it when I invented it first? I invented it better. <laughs> did you know I wrote a book? No. Can you show us your book? Yes. I wrote my book with a Cellus Gold Edition. Since I finished all of my lessons, I was able to do the special learning activities. I chose write a book. I decided to write my book about when I invented the hydrogen car. So first, I had to pick a city, and then, this was the hard part, I had to invent the hydrogen car. So I invented it 
and put it right there. Is that all? No. Did you know that I made a new invention? I invented the idea of using a solar collector and a windmill to collect energy to make the hydrogen for the hydrogen car. How do you like that? I am making a new invention right now. I'm inventing a way to make the hydrogen to fuel a hydrogen car. I can make it with solar and wind power. I can make the hydrogen to fuel the hydrogen car. Did you know I invented the hydrogen car? <laughs> You're copying. But I like it when my good ideas get copied. Thank you. Did you know I invented Peugeot Monet? <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now you know about R51. And unfortunately, it turns out he's more popular than I am. Yeah, it's last week, I just told him, be here in case anybody tunes in. Yeah. So he did this deal last week, and yeah. some of you saw it. And a lot of people wrote him and asked him questions and things. Boy, we had a lot they of did. mail to go through, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to know some of the questions? Sure. Tell us some of the questions. A lot of them are about hydrogen. And they want to know more about hydrogen cars. Okay. And they want... Actually, they, they wrote it to R51, but they're really wanting you to tell about it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that really? was their way in. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they're very excited about it. And then there's the other side, and um, rumor has it that Elon Musk might be doing something with hydrogen. Is he? We all are doing something. With, we're made of we're hydrogen. We're made of hydrogen. Right yeah, now. I know. <laughs> More hydrogen atoms in the human body than any other atom, and, and there's got to be a reason for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I love to talk about hydrogen. And um, I just so happened to have a hydrogen Model A model. And this, this Model A is a model of the one that I converted to hydrogen for my science fair project in high school. And this is how I paid for my college was by inventing the world's very first hydrogen car. In my car, the hydrogen was stored in the back of the car. Can you see this tank? I put two welding cylinders in here. Inside this cylinder, hydrogen is pressurized. Now, in a car tire, you have pressure. You pump air in there under pressure, and usually it's about 35 pounds per square inch. 35 pounds. This tank holds hydrogen at 2,000 pounds per square inch. Uh, in other words, if something were to happen to rupture that tank like an accident, the hydrogen would come out really fast and almost explode. Mm. So that was a little problem with my car, but it worked, and I drove this car all over. Now the hydrogen would come out of the tank, and when it go, if you look along from the side shot there, you can see the the tube where it goes up to the engine. Mm -hmm. And the only problem with my high school version of this car, which I fixed in college, by the way, but in my high school version, if I wanted to accelerate the car, 
someone had to get in the back and open the valve to make it accelerate. Oh. And fortunately for me, I had a younger brother who was a very good sport <laughs> and he'd sit back there. So if I wanted to accelerate, some people just push the gas pedal down, I would go, come on. <laughs> so you really had to have somebody back there. Oh doing yeah. It. yeah, yeah, he did it. And, and he would sit in the back of the little pickup truck and we drove all over town. And it did backfire a little bit and it was fun but it was the world's first hydrogen car. That's neat. Well, a lot happened since then. Mm -hmm. I learned that if you remove the internal combustion engine from the hydrogen car and replace it with a fuel cell, with the same tank you can go three times as far because internal combustion engines are not very efficient. Fuel cells are extremely efficient. So the same amount of energy does more work of propelling the vehicle. And in 1991, that was last century, <laughs> we built and demonstrated the first hydrogen fuel cell car. Now this, this hydrogen Model A, <laughs> I hate to get into the deep, dark facts of it all, but it won the science fair in 1966. So it was like 25 years later that we made the first fuel cell car. And all of the hydrogen cars uh, that are in production today are hydrogen fuel cell cars. A fuel cell doesn't have an engine, doesn't have valves and pistons. It's like a battery fueled by hydrogen instead of being charged with electricity. And it generates electricity which runs the motors. So if you put a fuel cell in a Tesla electric car, it would be able to power the car just like a big battery. And instead of charging it up with electricity, you charge up by putting more hydrogen in it. So it's really quiet when it runs. It is even quieter when it doesn't. One of the things <laughs> that's really a surprise really? with the hydrogen fuel cell cars, you're driving along, you can hear the motor, you can hear the wheels, you pull up to a red light, and the engine doesn't idle, it just gets completely quiet. Yeah. And then when you push the gas, it goes again. Tesla cars are like that if you're driven. That's how the hydrogen fuel cell cars are. Speaking of Tesla, some of you have heard that Mr. Inventioneer Elon Musk mm -hmm. has become very interested in hydrogen cars. And of course, anybody that gets in, interested in hydrogen cars is my close personal friend. Yeah? He doesn't know that yet, but you know, someday I'll tell him. I, I saw a video uh, report on what he's doing with hydrogen. I think we ought to look at it. This is what they're saying about his car. In a groundbreaking announcement that could redefine the future of transportation and energy, Elon Musk has unveiled a revolutionary new water engine. This astonishing innovation promises to change everything we know about how engines work potentially setting the stage for an era of unprecedented environmental sustainability. But what makes this water engine so different? And how could it potentially alter the landscape of global technology and ecology? Let's uncover the mechanics behind Musk's latest venture and explore its far-reaching implications. Elon Musk surprised his ex, formerly known as Twitter followers, by revealing a significant change in Tesla's direction. After years of skepticism, Musk announced that in 2024, Tesla will make a switch from batteries to hydrogen power. 
This unexpected shift was further emphasized as he disclosed that the first vehicle utilizing this new fuel source will be named the Model H. Musk had once referred to hydrogen fuel cells as fool cells and expressed his belief that the technology was mind-bogglingly stupid. This complete reversal is now credited to challenges encountered in the mass production of the 4680 battery, prompting the company to reconsider its approach and opt for hydrogen power as an alternative solution. Tesla, the global leader in electric vehicles since its establishment in 2003, has been spearheaded by Elon Musk. Committed to enhancing the average living standards through cutting-edge technology while prioritizing environmental sustainability, Musk has steered Tesla to the forefront of the renewable energy and transportation revolution. Investing in various eco-friendly projects and utilizing his platforms to advocate for change, Musk aims to change the way people think about energy, fuel and climate change. As the world increasingly accepts and advocates for cleaner energy solutions to combat climate change, electric vehicles with Tesla leading the charge are gaining popularity. Tesla has recently gone public with their plan to introduce a new energy source, hydrogen fuel cells. This development prompts the question, what are hydrogen fuel cells and how will they transform your driving experience? Vehicles, notorious for contributing significantly to climate change through fuel combustion, have seen a transformative alternative in electric cars. Tesla, Musk's multi-billion dollar automotive giant, produces half a million electric vehicles annually, contributing substantially to the growing societal acceptance of electric cars. Electric cars, like those produced by Tesla, primarily rely on batteries for power. These batteries, similar to those in laptops but larger, store electricity obtained from the grid or charging stations. However, issues such as long charging times, range anxiety and high costs have deterred consumers. In response, hydrogen fuel cells have emerged as a promising alternative, eliminating many of these drawbacks. Contrary to Musk's earlier skepticism about hydrogen technology, Fuel cells have gained interest in the automotive industry. But what exactly is a hydrogen fuel cell, and how does it function? Positioned strategically among a vehicle's components, the fuel cell collaborates with a battery, electric engine, and hydrogen tank to generate energy. Multiple fuel cells work simultaneously through a process called reverse electrolysis, where hydrogen reacts with oxygen to produce electrical energy. Unlike traditional electric vehicle batteries, fuel cell batteries are smaller as they are constantly charged by the fuel cell. This process ensures a continuous and sufficient supply of electricity. The byproduct of the fuel cell is water vapor, emitted harmlessly into the air. The quality of hydrogen used influences whether the byproducts contribute to climate change. Renewable energy sources produce hydrogen with a neutral carbon footprint. Despite public perceptions, scientists believe that hydrogen fuel cell technology holds promise and will catch up in the coming years. Apart from the environmental benefits, fuel cell electric vehicles offer distinct advantages in the driving experience. One noticeable difference is the silence of electric vehicles. Without the mechanical sounds associated with traditional cars, electric vehicles provide a remarkably quiet ride. Hydrogen fuel cars, 
taking this a step further, stand out even among their electric counterparts due to their swift refueling time. Charging time is a significant factor between battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell cars. While battery electric cars may take several hours to charge fully, hydrogen fuel cars are ready to go in no time, provided the hydrogen tanks are filled. This, coupled with the energy output of a hydrogen tank, gives fuel cell cars a more extensive range than their electric counterparts. From 2024 onward, the first vehicle to feature this innovation will be the Model H. Boasting technology and a remarkable 0 to 60 miles per hour acceleration in just 1.2 seconds, with a range of 450 kilometers. While hydrogen fuel cars are currently more expensive due to their rarity and the limited availability of hydrogen stations, industry experts predict a change in the next decade. With the urgency to address climate change, more automobile companies are embracing cleaner technologies. Model 2 and Model 0 are slated for release in 2025 and 2027, respectively, and are expected to be supercars. As Tesla pioneers this shift toward hydrogen fuel cells, the automotive landscape is ready for a significant transformation. Elon Musk is no stranger to controversy, and one of his lasting points of contention lies in his strong views on hydrogen as a fuel source for vehicles. However, as with many debates, not everyone is in harmony with Musk's perspective. In the changing landscape of electric vehicles, EVs, there exists a difference of opinions on the potential of hydrogen fuel cells versus traditional batteries. Musk's stance on hydrogen is robust and dates back several years. During a discussion at the Automotive News World Congress, he honestly labelled hydrogen fuel cells as extremely silly. Musk highlighted the inherent challenges of producing, storing and utilising hydrogen in automobiles, emphasising the technological superiority of existing battery technologies. Even with Musk's rigid position, the automotive arena is not a single company. Major players in the industry, including Toyota and Hyundai, have invested substantially in the development and production of hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. This commitment extends beyond industry giants, with smaller manufacturers like Riversimple actively engaged in creating hydrogen-powered cars. The contrast in opinions is not limited to the manufacturing side of the industry. Other prominent figures, such as Herbert Diess, the CEO of Volkswagen Group, have voiced similar concerns about the viability of hydrogen in the automotive sector. Diess states that green hydrogen produced using renewable energy sources is better suited for heavy industries like steel and chemicals and should not find application in automobiles due to being expensive, inefficient, slow and logistically challenging. Musk's beliefs on hydrogen, expressed on various occasions, include a series of tweets in mid-2020 where he declared, fuel cells equal sign fool cells, and insistently stated that hydrogen fool cells make no sense. Despite these unequivocal statements, Musk has not publicly indicated any shift in his views on hydrogen when contacted via Tesla by CNBC. The technological foundations of Musk's skepticism toward hydrogen lie in the fundamental differences between traditional battery electric vehicles and those powered by hydrogen fuel cells. All right, thank you.
Well, so uh, a lot of, of people have debated the wisdom of hydrogen mm -hmm. versus gasoline versus diesel versus electric cars. And it's been very fun for me to watch the debate get closer and closer and closer. I've been driving a hydrogen car for over 50 years. And uh, I'm excited to see more and more people getting involved. There is one major technological problem that uh, concerns me about the cars that are being made today. And by the way, most of the work that I have done working with the auto companies to get hydrogen really going, I work with most of them, but the one that I've really done the most work is Mercedes-Benz in Germany, uh, Daimler-Benz. And their vehicles, they're running buses, they're running taxi fleets, uh, there's a lot of utilization. But the, the challenge that the industry needs to solve, and that's why we need you inventioneers. Mm -hmm. Wherever there's a problem or a challenge, there's an opportunity. The problem is right here in the storage tank. This pressurized storage tank holds hydrogen at 2,000 pounds per square inch, which is a lot of pressure. But in the cars that companies are manufacturing today, they are using compressed gas tanks that are at 6,000 PSI. Mm -hmm. And to protect the tanks, they put them in the middle of the vehicle and they put bracing around so that it would be unlikely they would be damaged. And they still don't have very much range. Now, one of the technologies that the students and I have been developing here at IST is the metal hydride tank. I have here a tube of metal, and if you notice as I pour it, it it's a powdered metal. And we take an empty tank and fill it up with this powder in the factory when we're producing it. Then we close up the tank, put in a, a very fine filter to keep the powder inside, and we charge this tank by pumping pressurized hydrogen, but low pressure. And as the hydrogen goes in, it reacts with this special alloy, and it, it turns the alloy from metallic to white. But it stores hydrogen 20 times more dense than the compressed gas tanks. And it operates at just 50 PSI. So it is, it is very, 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 very safe. In fact, as I've been building vehicles with this, and by the way, I've, I've built many cars for different automobile companies, for the Department of Energy, we delivered mail in a hydrogen-powered postal jeep, we ran two buses for different uh, municipal governments, all with hydrogen, and as we started doing all these projects showing that you could do it with hydride, that it actually is a viable technology, uh, the Army became interested and they wondered if it was dangerous and they came and set up tanks and shot armor-piercing incendiary bullets, incendiary bullets that caused it to catch on fire and uh, it didn't explode. Then they shot one of those same bullets for a gasoline tank. And yeah, people have glory, all this glory. Stuff. So in the metal hydride form, hydrogen is an extremely safe yeah. system. This is one of the technologies which I am still working to get into the industry and it's, it's being refined. 
It's one of the major projects that I'm interested in right now and uh, which some of the students coming here to IST are doing. So solving things like this are going to be very important to our energy future. When you have this hydride, that is the main missing ingredient. And when that happens, everybody will have hydrogen cars because they will just be so much better in every way than other technologies. And when I started out, the engine wasn't efficient. We had to get rid of the engine, put a fuel cell in. That took, that took 25 years. You know, it takes a lot of work for these technologies to be developed. But when you finally get all of the pieces sorted out so that this option is better in every way than the others, then it takes off. And so I'm pretty excited about hydrogen. I think we're going to see some really amazing things happen. Okay? Okay. But today, we're not going to talk about that. Really? Today, we're going to talk about light. Okay, so I have here a radiometer, and this is a, a glass bulb with a little rotating vane, and you can see it's already rotating from the jiggles and, and the light in the room. This bulb was invented 125 years ago by a very brilliant scientist, and when you shine light on it, it turns. There are four little veins in here, and one of the veins is or one side of the vein is painted black and one side is painted white and it turns. And so the guy that invented this kind of did it on accident, but he figured out how it worked and he wrote a paper explaining it. And his paper turned out to be wrong. I mean, he made it work, but his idea of how it worked turned out to be proven to be wrong. In order for it to turn, it has to be a vacuum because with the air resistance in there, there's too much resistance and it won't turn. But if you make it be a perfect vacuum, then it still won't turn. And that was a clue that he didn't know about because he didn't have a way to make a really good vacuum. Mm. But when they did, it, it quit working. And so that sent, said it had to be some other mechanism. Well, some of the great scientists of history looked at this thing and came up with their theory and their idea on what makes it work, what makes it work, and they published their idea, their hypothesis, their theory, and then someone comes up with an experiment to prove, ah, that's not how it works, mm -hmm. and it's gone on and on. Did you know that even the famous Albert Einstein looked at this and came up with his theory of how it worked. He came up with an edge theory, which was one of the later ones uh, out of the list of people that tried this. And later, that was disproved because they found out that when you cool this for a little while, it runs backwards. And so it's got very, very, very strange behavior. Now I'm going to show you that Dr. Peje Monet can do amazing things. I'm not even going to turn this light on for her. I'm just going to hand it to her. And since she graduated from IST with a degree in electrical engineering, I, my hypothesis is she can turn it on. Bravo! Okay, point it right at the vein, please. Okay. 
So as she points it here, we ought to see this thing start to get turning. So it's called a radiometer because light radiation is turning the vein and how fast it turns tells you how intense the light is. So you could actually look at the speed and measure the amount of light radiation hitting it. Uh, interestingly, a very brilliant scientist at Stanford has semi-recently come up with the theory or the idea of how this works, but I think he's got it right this time. And it would be kind of interesting to, to just kind of close on that tonight. So you've got little veins, and they're in there so they can turn easy. There's a semi-vacuum, not a complete one. So there's a little bit of, of air in there, but, but not too much. So it can turn easy, but there is some there. And when you shine a light on something that's black next to something that's white, the white will reflect the light, whereas the black is absorbing the light. That's why it looks black. And so it gets warmer than the white side that's reflecting it away. So as the light hits the black and is absorbed, it actually excites electrons and pushes them to an outer orbit which makes the atoms more positive, or excuse me, more, more negative, which creates an electrostatic force that pushes the air away from the vein, and that's what turns it. It is fun to take on challenges like this, mysteries, and figure out what makes them work. And you can have a theory, and then you come up with experiments to figure out how it works, and it's, it's not easy. You know, when I was very, very young, we had a puzzle with six pieces, and I got pretty good at that. <laughs> but now, sometimes for the holidays, we get one of these puzzles with 2,500 pieces, and it seems like they're all the same color. And so we try to put that together, and we choose that puzzle because it's hard. And when you get it done, you feel like you've really done something. Well, that's how science is. The best stuff in science that still gets to be done isn't finished because it's challenging, it's hard. And that's why those of you that are going to become scientists, and especially the inventioneers, which are the sciences that make new scientific breakthroughs into wonderful, useful products, you need to know the science. You need to know the math. Therefore. Study hard, study hard, study hard, and finally, study harder, okay? <laughs> we'll give you the last word. I'm debating whether or not to say this. So the way you spell it is radiometer, and I, ha I was thinking it had to do with radio signals. Isn't <laughs> that weird? <laughs> Radiometer. I had no idea about that. That's really fun. Radio. So you spell it radiometer. That's not how I spell it. <laughs> I just call it R. <laughs> See you next time.